The number of responsibilities and opportunities involved when starting a business or becoming a leader within an organization can overwhelm the best of us. It certainly overwhelmed David and Matthew. Join the two hosts as they interview successful leaders about their journey to leadership, including victories, failures, and realizations. This is Like It's Your Job, a podcast from TSG Publishing. Hello, everyone, and welcome to episode six of the podcast, Like It's Your Job. I'm one of your hosts, David Shields. And I'm your other host, Matt Shields. Today, we have a, uh, an exciting guest, uh, a longtime personal friend and uh, partner in my everyday business, uh, Eric Beekler. Hey, Eric, good morning. Good morning, David Matthew. Thank you. Good to have you on, Eric. Really good to have you on. Eric is, a, uh, is the managing principal and a shareholder of More Partners, Inc., Eric began his career with more partners in 1994 and has been been a managing principal there for 24 years. Eric was an internal leader in growing the firm and ultimately was part of a management buyout of the named founder completed in April of 2017. He has held operational, recruiting, and managerial positions within the firm over the years, including responsibility for developing more partners' global platform. Today, he spends most of his time driving revenue for the company through new client portfolio businesses and running the company's capital markets sector. Eric's experience in domestic and international markets, as well as with family offices and private equity market markets, represents a diverse range of customers. Today, we're talking about uh, a topic uh, that I deal with on a daily basis in my professional life, uh, which are management buyouts how they work, how you structure them, and why you should consider them, and what opportunities it presents, maybe not for a co-founder, but for a business leader. But before we get into that, Eric, why don't you tell us a little bit about yourself? Sure, thank you. Uh, Thanks so much, David and Matt, for having me. Um, And congratulations on your podcast uh, endeavor, by the way, excellent. Um, I live in Dallas. Um, I am married with three children. Uh, as you mentioned, with more partners, I started years ago. I've actually been with the firm now 27 years uh, as we have grown it over the years. Um, and today, uh, stay quite active, obviously, as we continue to grow the company, um, both here in Dallas and nationally. We have uh, 26 offices throughout the U.S. We do international work as well with four of our alliance partners outside of North America. Um, so we're quite busy as a firm, and I continue to be Uh, out in the market, uh, working with existing and new opportunities on the client side. So um, I appreciate you having me. Look forward to visiting and uh, talking both about some of the trends in industry, but specifically the management buyout experience and what we took from it. 26 offices, four internationals, so 30 offices. Let's even double the complexity of the international offices. So we'll call 34 offices because I'm sure it has its own unique set of challenges. You know, that is a lot of, especially in your industry, where each office, I'm sure, had a managing partner, you know, pre and post buyout. So I'm sure that added quite a bit of complexity to the buyout process. Now you're negotiating with multiple parties on the cap table. So really, really excited to, to dig into some of those details uh, and, and hear about uh, your experience there. But before we, we really get into the, the bulk of the conversation today, I want to start with the quote of the podcast. Now, we ask all of our guests, or we read a quote from all of our guests that they provided and just talk about why they chose that quote, what it means in their personal life, their professional life, and how it helps drive them forward. 
episode. So yours is Be Passionate, Not Merely Interested by E.M. Forster, the British writer. Can you tell us a little bit about that quote, why you chose it, and what it means for you? Yeah, certainly. And, you know, candidly, it wasn't about uh, Forster as much as it was, I believe, about being passionate. I tend to be a passionate person in most walks of my life. Um, you know, I was a I was an athlete that played a lot of sports, um, still stay very active today. And I'm just a big team guy. I, I think when you're creating a team in business or in life, um, and even how you interact with your family members, uh, I've always been uh, sort of pro-passion. I think it's critical to be passionate about something. Um, it, it It is a way to really drive yourself, if you will, at a personal level, uh, given how competitive life is, frankly, in, in business. And so uh, I would say sort of by design, I'm more of a coach maybe than a manager by definition. And so I think having passion and, and focus uh, gets you a long way, and it also helps you through the tough times. I, I really believe that. The, the other point I would make is I think it's very hard to create passion that's not genuine and sincere, which is why I always uh, even share with my kids you're going to find your way, hopefully, and you'll find what you're passionate about. And when you find that, uh, it then becomes not work. Uh, you know, it's something you get up every day and have uh, get excited about, frankly. You know, and I think that's important. Yeah, I was going to say, when you are passionate about your job or what you do every day, right, it doesn't become a job anymore. It becomes part of your life and it no longer becomes work. And I, I like that distinction you made there. It's really hard to fake passion. But it's not hard to fake or feign interest, right? To pretend to be interested in something that somebody is saying or a hobby. It's really hard to fake passion because people just see that immediately and they gravitate towards it, right? It's part of being a charismatic person. It's part of being a great leader. Uh, so I really, really like this quote. I think I'm probably going to steal it. I'm a big fan of quotes. So I think, I think I'm going <laughs> to steal it. That's okay with you. You're welcome to take it. <laughs> okay, good. Sure. Thank you. I appreciate it. So, Eric, we've already kind of gotten into this a little bit. Um, I, I loved your point about um, about being more of a coach than a manager, because it seems like that means you're investing in your team members. Uh, and that passion applied to your management philosophy. Tell us a little bit about that. Well, I probably would like to be a better manager, but I've learned over the years, um, you know, through examples and, and experience, frankly, that I think, to be fair, I, I'm just not cut to be probably the best manager. I do have some of those skill sets and I have managed people clearly. Um, but I think my, not just philosophy, but what comes a little more natural to me, David, is the ability uh, to coach. Um, I am known to be quite optimistic at all times and have a pretty positive attitude most days of the week. And I think that goes a long way. I think it's also another thing that inherently you're either built that way or you're not. Um, but I think you do have choices. And so when we deal with each other on a team and we have a lot of collaboration in our firm, which I'm a big fan of, of a big whiteboard guy, which we can talk about a little bit on how I think people take in information and I'm a visual, visual learner. Um, I really take that over into my philosophy of sort of coaching and keeping people, you know, holding them accountable, but also encouraging. And I think that's important. And I think today in today's environment specifically, People are busy. There's a lot going on. There's some worriness on decisions. And I think people look for people that are positive in general and can make some committed decisions or discussion points with some confidence. 
And um, that's sort of some of my philosophies. Hopefully that, that makes sense a little bit to you. Absolutely. Absolutely. So what do you think is your, how has that philosophy changed? And we're going to talk a little bit about the, the, the management buyout um, and your kind of succession uh, into the leadership of uh, more partners. But how has that management philosophy changed, or maybe not changed, but evolved specifically throughout that process? Yeah, that's a great point. I, I think how it's evolved for me would probably be two areas. One, you know, it's evolved with what I would call different partners and leadership. Uh, w- when I started with the founder, Bob Moore, you know, I was quite young and uh, had an opportunity, which we'll probably talk in a minute or a little bit later on. I really had a chance at a very young age to experience a lot of different elements of business and growth and interacting with different uh, individual types and such. So I think where it evolved is when we went through the management buyout, you know, we began and started to run the company a little differently than when we were running it truly as a family-owned business. Uh, and there's really benefits of both. But when you transition like that, then I had to make some alterations on who are my new partners, who are my new shareholders. Um, you know, it's that collaboration, again, that's real important where maybe everybody thinks they've got a great idea, but we've got to work together. You know, it's like you and I and Matt in a room, um, we may have a lot of respect for each other, but you start throwing out ideas and such. You've got to really put the ego aside and roll up the sleeves and say, let's make sure we're going after this in the right manner to uh, achieve the right goals in the mission. So that evolved clearly with the different makeup of leadership and partners when we got on the other side of the management buyout. I could talk a little bit more about that. Um, but, but that's, I think, how it's evolved. And, then, and the other point for me personally, I think just experience is worth so much. Um, like I said, I was really lucky and blessed to, to learn a lot of different aspects and see a lot of different aspects of business at a very young age. I mean, in my mid to late 20s, um, you, you just typically don't get access like I had, frankly, and it wasn't because I was smart. I just had a, a neat opportunity and kind of put my head down and worked hard. Um, but I did take those experiences. And one of the other things I'll mention and, and Matt may like is I always felt like, and people have said this about me, is I, I do think I'm coachable. And I think having that character piece as an individual, if you are coachable in life, just in general, I think it's a I think it's a huge benefit because uh, many people are not, and it's tough for them to get out of their own way sometimes. And so that's probably, sorry for the long answer, but I think those are some of the things on how it's maybe evolved for me. Well, a lot of those are skill sets and qualities that, as you mentioned, are innate in people and can't necessarily be taught, even if they evolve over time. And I think, you know, the, the clearest piece of evidence for that would be the fact that you were made managing principal three years after joining Moore Partners. I mean, clearly the management team there, Bob Moore, saw something in you, innately inside of you, that made you, you know, stand out above the, the rest of the crowd. Part of that, I think, may have been just the experiences that you had, as you said, were broad enough that, that it was elevated to principal status. But, but even such, you can't true, you can't train optimism. You can't train coachability and the passion to coach, right? Those are two different skills, but two very important skills that you often see in leaders and managers and, um, you know, just executives within enterprises across, across different industries. I think that's true. I, I, I just mentioned, I think that's true. And I probably underestimated that in my early years. Uh, but I think I've slowed down over time and really reflections also another thing I, we could talk about that I don't think I did a great job in my early years, obviously, but, um, 
Uh, no, I think you're right. And I appreciate those comments. I think that that worked out well for me. Um, but you got to be willing to adapt and be coachable and be willing to say, you know, there's probably more than one way to do this. And, and how do I how do I work with others? I think is a big one. So let's talk about the actual the actual management buyout. And I want to talk about it in really two pieces. One, I want to talk about why you chose the management buyout route as opposed to starting your own firm or, you know, going to work for a, maybe a larger firm with an elevated role where you could continue that global leadership of the, the multi-office leadership, you know, why you, why you wanted to move towards management buyout and then what that process looked like. And I know there may be some material, non-public information in here, so feel free to stay high level or go as detailed as you think is, is appropriate throughout. Sure, absolutely. Well, I think the first part, <clears throat> which is this is uh, pretty easy for me to talk about, and that is that I don't think everybody would behave in the same way, but I really had my head down and was working hard in my early years. And as I sort of have uh, matured and grew in some of these roles and the company was growing, I didn't, didn't really take advantage of or pay attention to the marketplace. I wasn't looking to change jobs at the time. I was committed, and I'm, we didn't get into this, but as a the fabric of who I am and where I'm from and how I was uh, raised, I would say uh, there's a lot of loyalty there. So I was a pretty loyal person. Um, so what I didn't do is I didn't really test the market. I wasn't looking to go to another firm. Uh, but as we kept evolving, um, really what took place was, you know, I was thirsty for more and more leadership, um, you know, without getting into some details because the founder and Bob Moore had done such a good job growing the company and with his leadership, uh, you, you know, he also wanted to make certainly most of the decisions on the path and the growth of the company. And it was, uh, although I had some input with our current president at the time, um, you know, I really wanted probably a little bit more. And when you look at the equity of the company, um, unless we had a large event, uh, I did not have the opportunity uh, to really direct additional equity to myself at the time. And, you know, that started to wear on me a little bit. Uh, and the reality was, is when our president at the time, Ted Fredericks, was looking to transition and step away from the business, it did create um, an opportunity for Bob Moore, myself, and some of the other leadership to have some discussions. And we brought in Bob Shibuya, who's one of my partners and our chairman today and shareholder of the firm. Um, that really started to create a transition. And our options were, do we go private equity? Do we see what's out there? Or or do we end up with a management buyout? Now, candidly, we thought we knew what we were doing early on, and, and we didn't. And that was, if you looked at our makeup at the time, and I want to make sure everybody understands here, we did not have offices that were international. We had partnerships and in, in, uh, either what you call loose affiliation at the time or or a, uh, a channel partner. But as a U.S. company, we had both owned offices at the time as well as um, – as well as offices that we had interest in. So we had some phantom equity around the country with some of our managing partners, the managing uh, principals of their particular office. And so as we got into that, we really felt like we had everybody together and we could successfully, uh, you know, with the founder's blessing, uh, execute a management buyout. However, what we learned and took some time not everybody's ready to be an equity owner. Not everybody had that experience. We had a mix of very talented people around the country that were managing partners and principals that might be terrific salespeople, great leaders, terrific managers, even clearly in their local office. 
were they used to being, quote, an owner, a shareholder, an equity owner, equity stake owner? Uh, the answer was no. And it wasn't everyone, but it was enough that uh, we had some imbalance, if you will, on what we thought we could execute. <clears throat> so uh, that became difficult, and there were some challenges there. We ultimately got through it, but that was not without uh, a myriad of, uh, of things to work through. And frankly, it, it, I don't mind saying it was about a 14, 15 month process uh, that probably, if we were a little smarter and knew what we know now, we could have gotten done, you know, maybe six months earlier. But um, we ended up getting uh, uh, the result we wanted, but I will tell you it wasn't without some collateral damage to the existing makeup of the firm. Uh, we think it worked out best for all parties. But, you know, those are emotional times and those are difficult decisions for, for really all parties when you look to make that change. Well, you know, the 14-month timeline, you're right, is a little bit longer than most. But the, a lot of that is not necessarily transition time. I imagine a lot of it was due diligence, negotiation, making sure that every nut and bolt was accounted for before everything became finalized. So that's not, it doesn't seem out of the norm for 14 months to, to suit to not start to finish to get everything complete. Well, you're, you're saying that, Matt, because you didn't live yeah, there. Well, either. it's easy for me to say here <laughs> as a 30 second clip yeah. on a podcast. Uh, that's right. That's right. Yeah. <laughs> it, I would, I, I would suggest you the 14 months felt like 28, <laughs> if I'm being honest. Uh, but I will say, uh, for the audience, it's good to know, you know, they're all different. Let's be fair. They're all different. You guys are smart guys. You understand the industry and the business better than I do around, you know, management buyouts. However, I lived it every day, seven days a week, uh, for every day of that process. Um, really ours, the majority of our length of getting that done was certainly accommodating and making sure we had a deal that the founder could live with. But also really it was on our side on what was the company going to look like on the other side of that? What partners are in? What partners are out? And that was not an easy dynamic. Uh, you mentioned at the beginning, uh, which I think was a compliment on how many offices we have. You know, we, we're not all sitting in one office in Dallas. So when we were trying to pull this off, we had people flying around the country. We had meetings. We had, you know, what it takes. You have to, you know, that's a seven-day-a-week process. Um, but again, so, yeah, th th that's exactly right, David. And I will tell you, that was probably, um, you know, the most difficult and the most eye-opening is is you're running the business. And let me tell you, not just myself, but my current shareholders and other managing partners around the country that are still with our firm, uh, you know, everybody had to step up and step step in, if you will. Um, the one thing I will mention um, is that there, there's a saying about working in the business or working on the business. You know, you continue to have to do that when you take on something like this. And I think the thing that always bothered us when we had our really low moments during that tenure of trying to get it done is you do second guess, are we doing the right thing? You know, can we come out of this? You know, is now the time? Is uh, are we going to be okay? You, you, I think those are normal things to think about and normal things to be worried about. And I think it goes back to you got to have great collaboration with the people that are going to be in the foxhole with you. Otherwise, I think it's very difficult. Yeah, you know, um, Eric, I tell I, I deal with entrepreneurs on a daily basis. I am an entrepreneur at the firm, and you know, Matt and I certainly are entrepreneurs, and what we do on a on a kind of a daily basis. And I tell everybody uh, as loudly and often as I can that doubt is good. Having those feelings means two things. One, you care about the outcome, right? To use your word, you're passionate about the outcome. And two, it's always a good check. You want that uh, check 
as you plow forward into the unknown to learn lessons. And, uh, and there's two things that it strikes me, two themes that you're kind of getting to, um, which is transitioning through that buyout process. One is a, is a lot of work. I can't imagine. I mean, I'm sure there were good times. I'm sure there were tough times, especially when you're trying to run the business. But having a plan and staying true to your culture um, are the two things that kind of push you through. Right. Well, and that's right. And a couple of things I'll mention uh, that you, I'm sure you appreciate and you have examples with. When we got done with the management buyout, both sides, there was an incredible celebration. There wasn't a lot of high fives. We really were almost, and I don't mean this in a negative term, we were so exhausted to get through that chapter or that, you know, turn the page. Now it was, the excitement was, you know, take a deep breath. Now we got to go to work, right? Because you're picking it back up to run the business now without that distraction, frankly. Um, important distraction, but again, you know, it's, uh, that was a lot. And I also think when you know you have a fair deal on both sides is when both parties didn't, if nobody's celebrating, it was probably a pretty fair yeah, deal. Nobody's completely <laughs> so, happy. So right. you know that it was a, it was that's, a fair deal. Yeah. You know, Ross Perot is famous for saying after his team would close a big deal or they'd open a big new office, Ross Perot is famous for saying, great, have a drink, let's get to work. We're done celebrating, right? He, he is famous for, we did our jobs. We did what we were supposed to do to build the business. Now we're stronger and we need to go deliver on the vision and the plan that we laid out and why we put in all this hard work in the first place to go, to go run the process. We had, I'll share one little tidbit, if I may, regarding this process. Um, and this is sort of how I think and, and behave sometimes, but, um, one of the, my shareholders today, there's four of us that own the firm, um, was in this process, clearly. Uh, I was more on the lead side, if you will, with uh, our current chairman, Bob Shibui, that was coming in and working certainly with the founder and such. And then we had some outliers that we were trying to you know, position some things. And we, uh, we worked through so many things and, and at night, late calls and that, and then we were doing something on the weekend. And we were going to have this meeting at 8 o'clock. And I told one of the partners, let's change the meeting and the call to 10 o'clock Sunday night, and we'll go as long as we need to go. He said, why are you, why do you want to do that? And I said, cause you'll find out real quick who's serious and who's generally motivated to get it done. And we had some pushback from a few people. If you asked me at that time, really the whole time, maybe there was a few days, uh, Eric, we got to meet at two in the morning. It's just what it takes. And, and I tend to be that way, meaning that another analogy I have and I talk to my team about, if, I, if you're in the foxhole with me and I got to worry about if you're next to me and turn around and I don't feel you next to me, then we might have a problem. Then that's not, then we don't have you the right teammate or we haven't communicated the right thing. Cause that's really what it takes. Cause we had some brutal times where people thought not going to happen. It's not going well. We've got this issue, that issue. And you just have got to have people around you to lift you up or feel like you got somebody in the fight with you for sure. Um, so anyway, that, that's just, a, I wanted to share that cause, um, it did work out. It told me what we needed to know at that point. I'm sure it did. That's the entrepreneurial uh, spirit right there. That, that's uh, that's the grit and the uh, commitment to a to a plan and a result. Um, and you're right. You got to have. You know, the, the, it's interesting. This conversation is really fleshing out here. What kind of culture that you try to build, right? Because you know that's a that's a some great examples of passion and commitment, but also um, your your uh, discussion about 
um, certain partners around the country that that maybe we're not quite up, uh, equity owners. That's that commitment to collaboration. Um, so we're really seeing some themes in the in the culture and the decision that you made to kind of help you go through that. Um, so what are some of I want to I want to switch. Thank you for for sharing that, Eric. I want to switch and talk about a little bit more um, of the industry. Um, what are some of the benefits that going through this buyout process have brought your company, you know, how has it positioned it better to take advantage of some of the positive industry trends you've seen in the last four years? Yeah, that's a great question. I'm happy to talk about that because there is there is some glaring ones, I think. First of all, uh, we made a, a choice over the years as, as Bob Moore founded the company, and we continue to stay on a path of really being on what you call the tenant side or the user side, meaning that we didn't have a conflict in the industry, so we didn't represent landlords. And I don't want to get in too much of the weeds of the business, but we made a, a conscious effort to do that, and we continued that. And so when we bought the company, um, we we focused on a few things. We wanted to run the company with a little bit different structure corporately that where you might get away from some decision-making and some processes that are tied to family-owned businesses, which I think has definitely helped us in recruiting and some of our growth. Uh, some of our new channel partners and such, I think, being if you will, one company having a clear direction from our leadership group and both our executive team and our shareholder group, which I'll talk about in a minute if you like, we are very close and we work very close together. And it's not as if we didn't do that prior years ago, but we really just were a different company in sort of the leadership management and what, what we were able to do at that size. Um, you know, the other part is if you look at the industry is there's been a tremendous amount of consolidation and that's continuing. Excuse me. Two things that we've benefited from and we continue to benefit for sure is we're private. And so we're much more nimble and aggressive in both the marketing perspective and really how we grow and recruit. Um, if I may take a minute, if you don't mind, we, I wanted to mention back in fall of 2017, we were very proud that we were able to earn our MBE designation. Um, our minority business enterprises is what we are today. We've elevated that stature within the industry. It's really brought on great new relationships. We continue to be proud of a diverse company, which we are. And frankly, with the diverse spend on many public companies, certainly, um, it has really helped us and it's benefited us. We would not have been able to do that, nor did we have that designation prior under the other ownership. And so we're just, we're just thrilled with that and we continue to grow in that regard as well. Um, the other part I would say is because we're private and there's been huge consolidation in the massive, large, full brokerage operations in our industry, many people are disgruntled and not happy either with the platform or they get lost in those big firms. And, you know, they, they sort of pick their head up now and say, where should I go? And my gosh, more partners, they're of X size now and look at what they're doing. And so we're getting a lot of uh, benefits on the recruiting side. Our phone rings a lot more than it did two or three years ago, I can assure you. And I think the last point would be, we didn't know this was happening, but keep in mind, we got that management buyout executed and finished prior to uh, the COVID situation, and we were stable and growing. And then here came COVID. We're very, we were very stable, and we are a very stable company relative to the industry. And what I mean by that is we didn't take a big hit. We actually were up. Uh, some percentage points in the COVID year, which you may not realize in that calendar year. So 
you know, we had many competitors take a very big hit, but not because those aren't good firms, good companies, but because of the nature of the business and how they're structured, they really took a big hit. So I would say blessing for us on sort of the timing, how we got things done. And then we never missed the beat. And we hired just in Dallas alone, I think we hired seven people in the COVID year. Uh, you know, we're just constantly hiring. We opened two offices um, in the last 18 months, by way of example. So, you know, there's, um, it's, it's been very good. Uh, hopefully that helps answer that a bit. It definitely does. Look, no, no conversation that Matt and I have right now. Um, we, we can't get through it without mentioning COVID. And I know, you know, there are certain industries that were hugely, I mean, every industry was hugely affected. So I don't want to downplay that, but real estate is certainly, um, uh, closer to the top of the list for a material disruption from a business standpoint. So in the post COVID world, um, where are you going? And I, and I, I want to focus that a little bit because uh, I had written down, uh, as you were kind of going through it, uh, agility, and you mentioned being nimble. So this whole conversation, Eric, it, it, it seems like you had a plan from, from the very beginning, right? In 2015, right? Going back to 1994. And I suspect that looking back on it, you kind of always knew that, you know, again, sticking to your passion and commitment and sticking to your culture, um, that you were going to make it through. But I suspect uh, that you had a lot of it thought through and that you were prepared and you had a strategy, but you didn't have the details ironed out. And that's kind of the hallmark of being an entrepreneur, of growing your own business, is that agility and that nimbleness um, that you have to bring to every day. So talk a little bit about um, some of the lessons you've learned and how that, uh, that, that agility is going to lead you into the future. Good question, David. Let me touch on a couple points there. One is when we got on the other side of that management buyout, one of the things we knew we had to do, and it did take some time in a few sectors of the business for us to get it done, but we cleaned up processes. We cleaned up some reporting. We cleaned up some of the platforms we're utilizing on what I would call deliverables and service lines. And we were just able to do, I would say, move a little more aggressive under the new leadership and really focus in on that. Now, as we're doing that, we had a balance, certainly funding, money, you know, where do we, you know, what do we put in marketing versus uh, our new accounting examples like that. But as we did that and prior to COVID, we really started to shore some things up. Um, I would say that when we were going through COVID and then getting on the other side of COVID, it's your point about going forward. Remember, we actually benefit through disruption. So when markets are really good or even poor, in the traditional commercial real estate sense, we tend to do well because we get paid on these transactions, whether it's a, a lease buyout, uh, a consolidation of real estate, uh, someone's relocating. If they stay where they are and they're going to renew their lease, for example, we get paid. So that's very different than some of the other folks that are in commercial real estate that happen to be on in one sector, call it property management or what have you. So we've inher we inherently benefit there. The other thing is we, I should have said this at the beginning, as you guys, I think, know, we spend a tremendous amount of time in what you call the middle market, mid-cap companies, public and private. And because of that, just the nature of that sort of sector of the industry and businesses, and we're across many different industries, so we're agnostic in that regard. When you had this disruption, I can walk you through case studies where you had companies that were up 30 or 40% during COVID, right? Because it was the nature of their business. Then we're over here representing some other companies that 
were having tough times. They were consolidating. We were advising them on consolidation. We were maybe shedding some real estate for them on their behalf. So we're really blessed in that regard. And then I think the third sort of bucket or third decision point was, what are we going to be when we grow up and where are we going now? One of them I touched on. We wanted to continue to be proud of and look at our diversity as a firm, where we are in the marketplace in that regard, and really people. So Bob Shibuya, our chairman and shareholder, along with Rob Pipkin and Stephen Hemphill and myself, have really focused on, um, I would say, maybe being a little smarter and being thoughtful on how we bring people into the organization. Uh, it's definitely been one of our focuses over the last 12 months, and I think it's paid off. And so we're benefiting from that. We're benefiting, some, I think, from some phenomenal talent that's moving around that's been in the marketplace because of COVID. There's no question about that. Uh, many people have, as you probably know, both of you, I just met with a really neat individual the other day. You know, there's three guys that left the firm. They left because of COVID and they weren't sure and they, they took the, they took the jump and the leap, right? They're entrepreneurs. They started their own firm. Uh, they all looked at me at dinner and said, we would have never done it if COVID had not happened. And I believe that. So those are some of the things I think for today where we are as a firm, as we go forward, you'll continue to see us, uh, strengthen our challenge partners or excuse me, channel partners, pardon me relative to some of the growth outside the U.S., our international reach for sure, the diversity I talked about. But then we're shoring up a few offices in both leadership and service lines. Um, I'll just take one service line for a moment, if I may. And one of those areas is we continue to do a lot in lease administration, which we've done for years. But we are also in lease accounting and providing a lot of uh, new revenue opportunities there because lease accounting is more and more focused and you have some drivers on timelines for public and private companies to get that short up, both at the end of the year here, this calendar year, and then they're also doing a bit of an extension through Q1 of next year. So, um, you know, we have not sat idle. We, uh, we're we really pushing ourselves to be sort of bigger and better in many of these facets of the firm. No one's ever accused you of sitting idle, Eric. I don't, uh, I don't think that's <laughs> ever happened. <laughs> <laughs> that's probably my fault. I mean, that's where I got to work on. Well, I don't think so. You, you know, part of part of being a leader of an, of an organization like yours, Eric, especially coming out of a, of a huge transition. When when did Bob Moore found the firm? Uh, we well, we actually just uh, celebrated thirty five years uh, uh, of more partners. Uh, now, the first few years, to be fair, you know, Bob set up his LLC or whatever was actually under a little different trade name. Uh, you know, after the first three years, then it really became, I would say, a company, and he. Uh, yeah, so it goes back 35 years now. And, you know, Bob Bob is actually uh, a broker and still with our firm in, you know, in a brokerage capacity. And he spends a you know, fair amount of time on his other business on doing some capital investments, which has certainly been been very positive for him. And so, uh, yeah, it's worked out really nice. It's, it's, it's a great story, frankly. It's been a good run for everybody. And um, we enjoy the relationship post, uh, post-merger, certainly. Yeah, that's a uh, that's it, hearing this story about transitioning a 30, 35 year old firm, Eric, it's from the inside. Right. Um, think about uh, for our listeners specifically that want to hear about um, getting an opportunity, what it takes to be an entrepreneur and appreciating the fact that through you know commitment to culture, some passion and some strategy and some expertise in your injury or in your in your industry, 
And kind of like you said, just putting your head down and grinding, you can have anyone really that, that commits to that can have the opportunity to be that entrepreneur inside an organization that you didn't found. So there are other opportunities to do that. And that's a tremendous lesson. Um, that's a tremendous lesson. Yeah, a couple of things I'll mention, you know, it, just to kind of square up the timeline, you know, it's been four years, April of 2017, since we, which is hard to believe from my perspective a bit, but we, uh, you know, had the had the buyout. Uh, but I've obviously been with the firm for 27 plus years now. You know, I think this is great discussion because I can talk about this stuff all the time because I've lived it. But I do think it's important to reflect as you go along. And the one thing I talked to our folks about, and I probably should have mentioned this, you know, I ran our national sales meeting from soup to nuts for five or six years straight. And then it got to be a little lar too large. And frankly, I needed to, uh, it, it was really hard on me. And so, uh, but, but I didn't mind doing that. And I like doing that. And I've run some boot camps and things. But, you know, things that I talk about a little bit that you guys might appreciate on the entrepreneurial side is you don't have to raise your hand to let people know you're working hard, working smart, and getting things done. And if you think you have to do that, then you're not going about it the right way. You know, and I talk about that all the time. Um, there were many, many nights. I've got three children. I can go back and I remember like it's yesterday. I just, the other night I was at the office and, you know, I went down the tollway going back home and it was 1.15 a.m. Now, I'm not that important guy, but I probably don't need to be at the office at 1.15 a.m. if I was doing things properly. However, I wanted some things done, you know, ahead of time or the right way. I needed to organize my thoughts, you know, so we talk about everybody has 24 hours in a day. The question is, how are you going to utilize them? Nobody has a benefit. Nobody gets two more hours or two less hours. And I do think it comes down to sort of how you put your priorities in order, structure, organization. I wasn't very good at that when I was young, frankly. Um, but I talk about that with, with everybody because I'm, I'm always, I always admire the people that are incredibly efficient and productive. Um, and I think that's part of it, you know, that's part of it. Yeah, with a with a young son at home, I do relate to going back to the office after he gets put down to bed in order to knock out some emails, finish some modeling, whatever it may be. Um, you know, it's changed a little bit now. I think COVID's changed everything where people are more comfortable working from home, but still do feel the urge to come into the office where I have my full setup and my full suite of tools available to me. So I... I certainly uh, empathize with that. I mean, I, I know how you, I know how you feel. So, thank you so much for sharing all of the details about the your professional background, the buyout process, some of the challenges associated with it. And I really loved hearing about the future for more partners. What made you successful in the past? What things you changed, and what things you kept the same from pre and post buyout to just grow into a world-class organization into the future, into this post-COVID world. So before we close out the episode today, I, I do want to get to our rapid-fire question section. These are five questions that we ask all of our guests, the same five questions at every episode, and they are just intended to let us get to know you a little bit better outside of what we already have. So I'll kick it off with the first one. What is the one habit that most contributes to your success? Uh, working out. I'm a workout nut and I would say a gym rat still. And, uh, it, it's my, it's my balance. It's my addiction, if you will. Thank goodness it's a healthy addiction, <laughs> but there's no well, it helps clear your mind for sure. Dinner with three people, dead or alive, who would they be? Oh, yeah, dead or alive. Okay. 
Uh, I would do uh, I would do Elon Elon Musk. I would do Henry Kissinger, and I would do George W. Bush, just because I've always wanted to spend time with him. Those are those are three good answers. If you had a million dollars to invest anywhere, where would it be? Ooh. And you can, by the oh, way, yeah. say more partners. There's no ban on shameless self promotion <laughs> here. I'd probably. I'd probably want to invest in my children's passion for something that was meaningful. I think that's where my heart would go. Love it. What is the top skill you look for in your team? Uh, it, passion. You got to be passionate. Love it. And this is a little bit of a spin on, on a traditional question. What are your competitors' greatest opportunities? I, I think, I think staying in the space and defining the service lines and focus of within the business that they want to be in. There's huge opportunities in some of those specific service lines within our business as we go. To specialize and, and really capture the market. Yeah. Correct. Great. Well, I appreciate it. Those are, uh, those are all five good answers. All right. Well, thank you, Eric. Before I do a quick little recap on, on uh, what we talked about, do you want to give a one-minute elevator speech on uh, who More Partners is, what they do, and, and uh, just kind of give your, uh, your call to potential customers? Sure. Thank you very much. And cannot thank you, too, enough for, uh, for the opportunity. More Partners based in Dallas. Uh, we are a global company. We have uh, 25 offices around the country. We are really the largest tenant-only firm now in the U.S., and we focus on portfolio work representing tenants exclusively on their uh, real estate needs. We spend a lot of time in the middle market, and we represent many private equity firms' portfolios as well as family offices on the capital market side, both on the acquisition and disposition side of things. We have a terrific site selection, an economic incentive platform and service line our BI platform is very strong, and we do uh, a lot of what you would call lease administration and lease accounting for our clients throughout the country. And we are in business and very active, so we thank you. Those lease accounting rules can be very complicated. The IASB has, uh, has really complicated those rules the last few years. Yes, we've, and we self-perform on all those things I mentioned, including the lease accounting, and it's been very helpful to many of the clients that are not set up to obviously uh, execute on that in-house. Well, great, Eric. You know, again, it was, it's, a, it's always a pleasure to talk to you. We've been friends for a long time, known each other a long time. Uh, it's great to get some background and hear a little bit more insight about the buyout process, you know, learn about your management philosophy, passion, commitment, strategy, uh, and thoughtfulness has kind of led to your success. Uh, we always appreciate the insight into industry t trends and, and uh, how that industry has evolved in the last uh, couple of years. And, uh, you know, look forward to tracking more progress as you continue to grow. So thank you. Well, I, I just would like to thank you both. And I would say I've always uh, admired, obviously, both of you, uh, Jim, and the business at Shields. But you guys are smart guys. You do, you do a great job. And I think this is a terrific uh, platform that you have here. And you got so much knowledge. So happy to help. And uh, I thank you for the exposure. And certainly we want to be a good channel partner to the Shields organization as you go forward. So. Thank you. It's great to have you on, Eric. Thank you so much for your time. Thank you, Eric. Everybody, if you like what you heard here, please visit growthtoexit.com and shieldslegal.com for more relevant information and general business content. Additionally, visit morepartners.com to learn more about their business, see the teams, and figure out where all their offices are. I know we have some listeners outside of Dallas and Texas, so 
definitely visit morepartners.com. We'll include the, the link to that their website in the show notes. And one special announcement at the end of the episode today, we will be bringing these shows to you more often. We've been doing once a month, as you, everybody has seen. We're going to try and do these every two weeks now, so effectively twice a month. So subscribe to our channels, Apple Music or Spotify, wherever you listen to your podcast for, for more more frequent content. Our next episode, will be interviewing a, a hedge fund that manages digital assets, so think cryptocurrencies. Uh, lots of great content there, and we're going to be talking to them all about how that can apply to your business in any industry. So thanks, everybody.